Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family, and thanks for joining us as we continue our mini-series on marriage preparation. And today we're going to talk about pro-life marriage preparation. In fact, I thought this was just going to be a quickie, uh, a point within a talk or an episode, and it's actually going to grow into two episodes, both this episode 403 as well as the next one, 404. Let me start with this. There are two major trends going on in our culture and in our country that affect the future of the family and the church, particularly as it pertains to preparing young couples for marriage. I already mentioned the first one repeatedly in this series, but that's the 75% plunge in Catholic weddings over the past half century. That is an enormous impact on family life that young couples aren't even coming to the church to start their married life. And now there's a second major trend, and believe me, you do not want to try to do marriage prep in the 2020s and ignore both of these trends. The second trend, and I'm quoting from the Atlantic Magazine, saying that a third or more of Americans younger than 45 either don't want children or expect to have fewer children than they otherwise would have because of worries about climate change. Honestly, I was floored by this. Uh, I, I think I know enough to know you need to pay attention to major trends because you could be worrying about uh, teaching family budgeting and all the costs of raising a child, and a third of the people who are looking right at you don't want children in today's world because of the climate change and environmental threats. So you better be aware of these things or you're going to be talking to yesterday's children. I've got a few quotes here from a whole wide spectrum of folks on their opinion on this. Uh, The first is Miley Cyrus. She's not a, a Catholic expert, but she's a popular singer. And she said, I vow not to have a baby on this piece of four letter word planet. And then there's the very well known who never uh, ceases to be in the news, uh, Congressional Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She has 13 million followers on Twitter. She's very influential. She, she may even run for president of the United States. She questioned out loud whether or not it's still okay to have children due to climate change. And surprisingly, she said student debt, too. Uh, um, And I do know that student debt impacts young couples' decisions whether or not to have children, but still. Then there's Prince Harry, and he said he and his wife only want a maximum of two children due to environmental concerns. So in other words, he's planning his family size, maybe a little smaller than what what he otherwise would due to climate change. 
And then there's the English teacher, Jessica Combs, who told CNBC, quote, I refuse to bring children into the burning hellscape we call a planet, unquote. And then there's the financial, financial analyst at Morgan Stanley, and they said that the movement not to have children owing to climate change is growing and impacting fertility rates quicker than any preceding trend in the field of fertility. And the U.S. right now is on a downward trend on fertility, and our population has increased at the slowest pace since our nation was founded. And just just one big question, who's going to pay for Social Security? There's no way forward because the retirement group that draws on Social Security is growing and growing larger than the smaller group that has to pay for Social Security. That's just one social question. Uh, Climate alarmists claim that having a child is seven times worse for CO2 emissions than the 10 most discussed causes of carbon emissions. And environmental concerns are cited as the top reason why some couples are choosing not to have children. I'm not talking about couples who can't have children. These are a multitude of contemporary young couples and young people and their influencers who are choosing willfully not to have children because of the climate fears. And so what are we going to do when they come to Catholic marriage preparation and openness to having children is one of the things necessary to have a valid Catholic marriage? But they've been scared. They've been scared that the world as we know it could end because of what is happening with the environment. Back to Representative Ocasio-Cortez, she said in 2019, man-made climate change will destroy the planet in a dozen years if humans do not address the issue no matter the cost. So according to her, we have nine years left before the planet destructs. What's the primary cause of climate change? And I realize there's probably a lot of listeners who aren't going to agree with me, but that's okay. You're my friend, and friends and adults should be able to have discussions and exchange views. This is the way the world used to work until the last few years. I don't know what's happened in America. But in any case, what is the primary cause of climate change? And I realize that in the news and all of these folks that I've mentioned believe it's man-made causes that is resulting in climate change. I personally disagree. I believe that climate change, the primary cause, is due to solar activity. And just a case in point, the good old farmer's almanac. Uh, this is used, oh, everybody likes farmer's almanac. It's interesting reading, but, but people whose livelihoods and the impact on their very hard labor, namely, namely farmers, don't want to have um, erroneous or non-essential information regarding the weather. And the farmer's almanac's been around 230 years 
And they believe that solar activity, particularly sunspot activity, is primarily responsible for the climate changing. The climate always does change. That's why we have weather reports. And there's an approximate 11-year cycle, a little more, a little less sometimes. And that solar maximums means there's a maximum of solar sunspot activity and there's climate warming. And you have a solar minimum and you then have uh, climate cooling. And if you're old enough to remember in the 1970s, there's a whole big debate on Google. You can go through several pages of, oh, they didn't have any articles about that in the 70s. Oh, yes, they did. And then you'll see pictures of the articles. But I lived through the 1970s, and there were warnings about global cooling and even some expressing fears about a possible ice age. These were real fears of climate change, but it was the opposite direction of where the fears are directed today. Now, I believe the Catholic Church needs to be very careful. I mean, uh, from homilists to um, USCCB pronouncements to Vatican pronouncements, need to be very careful who we align ourselves with in trying to address what this problem is. And here's a surprising editorial from a financial magazine or newspaper called Investors Business Daily back in 2014. They said, the Vatican apparently now has been infiltrated by followers of a radical green movement that is at its core anti-Christian, anti-people, and anti-poor. The basic tenets of Catholicism, the sanctity of human life, and the value of all souls are detested by the modern pagan environmentalists who worship the created but not the creator. At its core, Big Green believes that too many human beings are the basic global problem. People, according to this view, are resource destroyers. Climate change, they say, is due to the overpopulation of Mother Earth. The Catholic Church should denounce, not praise, such anti-human thinking. Rather than linking arms with the people who promote immoral population control policies, including eugenics, millions of forced abortions and sterilizations, and one-child policies, unquote. There are a whole group of very wealthy, very elite, the big movers and shakers in the world and the influencers that believe we have way too many people living. Now, they don't line themselves up for being extinguished, but they think that huge sections of humanity should be. Here's Ted Turner, a total population of 250 to 300 million people is what he projects as the right level, which is a 95% decline from present levels. That would be ideal, says Ted. Uh, Jacques Cousteau, everybody knows him for his undersea adventures. He says, in order to sta stabilize world population, we must eliminate 350,000 people per day. Here's Margaret Sanger the founder of Planned Parenthood, and that 
organization receives an average of $543 million in government funding every year. Quote, the most merciful thing a large family can do to one of its infant members is to kill it, unquote. Here's another one. Population control will now become the centerpiece of the United States foreign policy. Hillary Clinton. Here's another one. World population needs to be decreased by 50%. Henry Kissinger. And finally, here's the last one I'll share with you. The world today has 6.8 billion people. That's heading up to about 9 billion. Now, if we do a really great job on new vaccines, health care, and reproductive health services, we can lower that by perhaps 10 or 15 percent. That's from Dr. Bill Gates. Now, how do we respond to such anti-human propaganda and yet be responsible in promoting good environmental practices? Well, I suggest that it's really important to stay away from climate alarmism or exaggerated fears and promote environmental responsibility and take steps progressively that are reasonable and that don't hurt the poor and promote those things rather than the alarmism. Second, and I think this is um, applies to so many things in our culture, but for the whole climate change and climate warming debate, we need to listen to both sides of the question of carbon dioxide. Um, for instance, without heeding both sides, um, like the government in the Netherlands wants to take away farms from farmers, a huge chunk of their farms, uh, because of too much nitrogen being applied to the soils. Now, it is true, too much nitrogen is being applied, and that pollutes the environment. Now, if you just take a huge section of farms away from the farmers in the Netherlands, what's going to happen if you have less farm input? Well, the same demand will mean you have increased prices. That will mean that the poor has a very difficult time eating. And so before you jump at a proposed solution, why not listen to the other side of the argument? And particularly on this one, why not listen to farmers? I talked to a farmer yesterday and what he told me, he said, Steve, do you know that if you properly apply lime to a field, you can reduce the need for nitrogen fertilizers by 50%. So you don't need to cancel any farms or farmers. The poor can still eat and you can reduce by 50% the amount of nitrogen that gets polluting the environment by encouraging the use of lime. Now, 
I personally haven't found in the U.S. Constitution why billions of dollars should go to corporate farms. But nonetheless, if you're going to support something in agriculture, why not have some kind of discount or promotion for lime? Because if used properly, you don't want to overuse it because you'll wreck your soil, just like if you don't have enough, it's not functioning properly, and reduce nitrogen by 50%. That's one example. Here's another example. Uh, And this one... Unfortunately, a lot of religious people think they're up to, what should I say, the current thing by skimming issues or reading an article in the New York Times and thinking they're in the cutting edge of where we need to be as a church to be relevant to the modern world and do our virtue signaling and all this type of stuff. Well, do you know that a lot of Catholic environmental information is not up to date? For instance, when's the last time you heard any Catholic official pronouncement and broadcast on this issue and such articles who have talked about regenerative agriculture? Now, granted, I realize a lot of people don't know what that is, but basically, if you think back to... uh, the American Plains, you had herds of buffalo, okay? And they would be compacted. So you had a lot of weight in a tight space and they would eat and then move on. Rather than just stay stationary, they would eat and move on. By clipping the grass, it'll grow faster, just like you clip a rose bush and it grows faster. And then they move on. And the plains, According to Little House on the Prairie days, the grasses were as tall as a man on a horse. Incredible fertility, some of the best literally in the entire world. And you can do that. Farmers are doing that today as I speak and using portable electric fencing. And rather than leaving the cows or the sheep or whoever it is in one big pasture, you divide the pasture into paddocks and rotate them. And doing so, what do you do? You capture carbon. It takes carbon out of the air and puts it into the soil. And carbon in the soil is like nuclear (laughs) fertilizer. It's tremendous for the soil. And if you want to learn about this, uh, I've written a little booklet called Farming Faith and Family Life. I just have two or three pages in that booklet that will describe what regenerative agriculture does and its benefits. And then there's a slew of books on this, and it's very interesting. I have three books I'm going to just tell you about, give you uh, titles. And these books were written, as best I can tell, by young women who strike me as not the kind who— have been eating pulled pork all their life and driving old Ford F-150s, okay? They kind of remind me of kind of a modern, literary, urban, millennial, uh, intelligent women. And they started, they're doing their investigation. This is the up-to-date stuff. Just saying we need to cancel farmers or start eating bugs like Bill Gates tells us and this type of thing. There's a lot better up-to-date scientific and agricultural information. Here's the first by Judith Swartz entitled, Cows Save the Planet and Other Improbable Ways of Restoring Soil and 
the earth to health. And she talks about the unmaking of deserts, rethinking climate change, bringing back biodiversity, and restoring nutrients to our food. And this is one of the blurbs in the back of the book. When politicians, policy leaders, and activists get serious about cost-effective solutions to climate change, Judith Schwartz's new book will provide a destination and map. Here's another one entitled Sacred Cow by Deanna Rogers, and I believe this was made into kind of a documentary or a movie. And for this book, here's what Dr. Mark Heyman, who is the Cleveland Clinic Center for Functional Medicine researcher, quote, the answer to our broken food system is not to no meat, it's better meat. If you are concerned about red meat's impact on your health and the planet, this book is for you. And finally, this one entitled The Soil Will Save Us by Christian Holson and subtitled How Scientists, Farmers, and Foodies Are Healing the Soil to Save the Planet. In fact, all these books, you read about this remarkable thing of traditional ranchers and farmers, old school boys, getting together with foodies who really care about like the things you eat and how this will heal the soil produce healthy food, and you don't need to do alarmism or knee-jerk things that result in people losing their livelihoods or cost a lot of money, uh, wasted millions or billions trying to change things that we're not going to really change. In addition to that, uh, just two more things. I'm very passionate about this in case you can tell. By the way, there's a new organization just forming as I speak in the state of South Carolina. It has the name of South Carolina Carbon Farmers, and yours truly, speaking to you right now, came up with that name for the new and about to form organization. And carbon farmers are forming all around the country. Farmers are being paid by environmentalists for their ability to capture carbon, and you don't have to spend millions to do this. Farmers and ranchers can reduce their costs, provide healthier food, provide the environment with a healing mechanism that it's just phenomenal, and yet you don't hear about it. Now you're saying this, this sounds bogus, it's too good to be true, and blah, 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 blah. Well, just do a Google for white oak pastures. It's a farm in Georgia. And there is a, if you go to the bottom of their website, White Oak Pastures in Georgia, they did a carbon footprint evaluation. And I think it was General Mills, it's kind of a traditional food production company, co-sponsored a research that is the cows uh, emitting more pollution or by using cows on land with regenerative agriculture, even given that negative emission they have, do they capture more carbon than hurting the environment? And that study is for all the world to see. Now, here's where we need to get serious. Uh, perhaps my best minister friend, when I was a Presbyterian minister, uh, we both started studying the early church fathers and realized that uh, we had a little 
little pilgrimage to do to align ourselves with the church that we were studying in the uh, early church fathers. And my friend and his wife didn't become Catholic. I thought they were. I thought they were headed to Catholic church. And I asked them, how come you guys became Orthodox instead of Catholic? In fact, my friend is right now an Orthodox priest. And I was told by um, the wife that she attended a Catholic high school. And in Catholic high school, the drums that were repeatedly beaten, one was the environment and the other was Vietnam. Now today, it's still the environment and it's probably, you know, Ukraine positive or negative, however you feel about that. But whatever, you know, beating contemporary drums um, she couldn't conceive of trying to raise her children in a church that didn't talk about Jesus and the apostles and the church and the sacraments, but she got out of Catholic schooling was Vietnam and the environment. So we need to be careful about what we are conveying to young people because American teens, for instance, thinking not recycling is far more immoral than viewing pornography. We have work to do. St. John Paul II said the future of the world and the church passes through the family. But if we have declining marriage rates and couples willfully choosing not to give birth to children, it's disaster for the family. And so in our marriage preparation, long before you even get to marriage preparation, but be ready because if you bring up the blessings of children in marriage preparation, you're going to have to have a reasonable perspective on climate change that can include environmental responsibility and being strongly pro-life. That's the pro-life view of children. And we don't want to, as a church in the modern world, contribute unwittingly to the decline of the family and hence the disastrous decline of the church. And next time, again, I thought this was going to be a quickie, once-and-done pro-life perspective on marriage prep, but we're going to explore ways that a marriage preparation program can encourage in a very positive way uh, a pro-life environment and maybe some things that Catholics can do in the wider culture and even in the political culture and bring positive change to the faith, to the family, and to the church. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 403 of Faith and Family Radio. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org.